Life Audio. This is Empowering Homeschool Conversations. We want families to come here and gain insightful strategies that empower them to successfully teach diverse learners at home. Hosted by founder and CEO of SPED Homeschool, Peggy Ployer. Our goal is that these powerful weekly conversations will boost your confidence to cultivate the best at-home learning environment for your student. For more homeschool resources, go to spedhomeschool.com. You're listening to Empowering Homeschool Conversations with Peggy Ployer. We'll start the conversation with Peggy and her guests next. Is it hard to spark meaningful conversations with your kids? Whether you're a homeschool hero, planning activities for the next family vacation, or simply gathering around the dinner table, we've got something that can help. Introducing the Daily Family Conversation Starter by best-selling author Katie Clemens. This remarkable book offers 365 imaginative ways to connect with your children in just five minutes each day with prompts like, who made you laugh today? Or what would you do if you had a tail? These simple questions open up a world of laughter, curiosity, and deeper connections. From dinner time to sleepy time, the Daily Family Conversation Starter is your key to creating memories that will last a lifetime. Don't wait to transform your family's daily routine into an adventure of discovery and fun. Grab your copy of The Daily Family Conversation Starter today, wherever books are sold. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-497-4410. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in, anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-497-4410. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-497-4410. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. This is Empowering Homeschool Conversations, provided by Sped Homeschool, a nonprofit that empowers families to home educate diverse learners. To learn more, visit spedhomeschool.com. Here's Peggy Ployer. So today we are going to talk about student stress management and some strategies on how to overcome that, um, or at least help your student to manage it better. And my guest is Dr. Kelly Fresnel, um, PhD, the founder in house, of In-House Test Prep. Welcome, Kelly, and thank you for joining us. Hi, thanks so much for having me on. Yes, absolutely. I, I'm excited for this conversation. We're kicking off a, a new month and a new topic. We're going to be talking about twice exceptional learners. And um, and I don't know if you maybe know what that is, audience. Um, it's it's that, that gifted child with that extra glitch and or some glitches in some areas. And so oftentimes stress 
is something that these students deal with a lot because some things come easy and some things are really difficult. And so, so I'm excited, Kelly, for you to share some of your expertise in this area. And um, I know you've worked with a lot of students who kind of have this, this label and um, have a lot of wisdom to share with us. Um, so, so we've got some viewers popping on, I see already, and Kirisu um, is already saying hi on, um, on YouTube. So welcome, everybody. Um, just know that if you're watching live, just put your comments, your questions in the feed. We would love to include you in this conversation. That's why we go live. And um, and to just ask us um, questions that you think would be applicable to this conversation, and we'll, we'll happily include them. So, Kelly, as we are getting started, I would love for our audience to get to know you and a little bit about your background. And so if you can just tell us um, maybe just, you know, a little bit about um, why you're passionate about helping students, um, what in-house task prep is, and and then also just um, maybe just how you got involved in this field. And um, it's kind of always exciting to hear people's stories. And 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 so let's start out with that. <laughs> yeah, sure. So um, I do own a test prep business, and I primarily help students get ready for tests like the SAT or the ACT. I also help students yeah. who are looking at um, entrance exams for private schools and boarding schools as well. And then I also do math tutoring as well. And so I kind of do both of those. Yeah. Things. And the way that I got into test prep was actually when I applied for grad school, when I was a senior in college, I had to take the GRE, which is like the SAT for graduate school. And I learned 1,040 vocabulary words for this test. It's wow. Vocabulary. <laughs> and after I was done with it, I took the test and I thought I should really do something with those 1,040 words that I just learned. <laughs> and test prep seemed like a natural extension of that. And I got hired by Princeton Review, which is one of the major test prep companies as a senior okay. in college learn how to teach the SAT from them. And at the time, the SAT and the GRE were pretty similar to each other. Went off to yeah. grad school. I was originally studying psychology, ended up switching to public health. But when I finished my degree, I actually ended up starting a test prep business because I really loved doing it and I enjoyed oh, it. Awesome. And, and I started my business, I've been teaching test prep since 2001, and I started my business in 2007 and had okay. been all local, had an in-person business. And then right before the pandemic, I decided I wanted to take my business online. Oh, and wasn't that a good move? <laughs> I was about three months before the pandemic. I got a Zoom wow. account in January of 2020. And well, nobody knew what it was. <laughs> nobody knew what it was. I had this grand three to five year plan to get myself out of my office and online, and it took three months of the pandemic. Right. That was that. And I never went back to my office and it's turned wow. out to be really amazing because I, it now means I can work with students anywhere. I have students in New York, Absolutely. I have students in California, I have one in London, I had one in Spain and it, it really means I can, I can just reach kids everywhere, which I love. Yeah. What a rewarding work that you can do. Just help them to, to achieve those goals that I'm sure that they're just striving for. And sometimes they feel <laughs> like, you know, it's, I don't even know if I can do it. And I guess that's that's a lot of what stress and that anxiety has to do with students of all ages. Exactly. Is they, they hit those roadblocks. And um, I, I know as a parent who has a child like that, um, it seems overwhelming to us on how to get them to move on past those those obstacles because we ourselves sometimes haven't got past them ourselves. <laughs> and so I'm excited for, you know, your 
ability to speak into this um, this topic and to, to share some strategies with us because because um, our parents they definitely need it and um, I always learn something new too but um, can we talk just a little bit about learning stress maybe some of the the background on that what causes it and um, and also um, what may accentuate those learning stresses. Sure. And um, when we're talking about stress and anxiety, one of the things that's always important to me to talk about at the beginning is the difference between pretty normal and typical levels of stress and yes, yes. and then levels mm-hmm. that actually are harmful in some way or that are hurting children or hurting adults too. But some level of stress and anxiety is a natural, normal part of life. It's what That's helps true. us survive. And a lot of times in intra-psychology classes, you always hear the example of in the old, you know, in the old, old days, if a, if a tiger was running at you, you're going to experience a burst of stress and anxiety and hormones. <laughs> and, and as you should, there's a tiger running after you or a lion or whatever is chasing you. And that that is natural. That's healthy. That's normal. And that's a survival instinct. It's a mechanism yes. for your body to say, hey, there's danger. We need to get out of here. Do exactly. some mobilize and do it. So that's normal. And we we don't have tigers anymore. Hopefully most of us that are busy, but we've got we've got deadlines and we've got drivers and exams and maybe we have standardized tests and schoolwork and friends and navigating the world, a pandemic. There's a lot of things right. to, to have yeah. stress and anxiety about it. So mm-hmm. some level of that is normal and it is adaptive and it's healthy and just fine. But there are certain points where that anxiety and stress really start to become kind of pathological in a way. And it is harmful for children to experience those levels. And some of the ways that you know the difference is really the intensity and also um, the amount of distress that it's causing. So if if your child is anxious before a soccer game and they're anxious for the 10 minutes before it and they're nervous and have jitters, but as soon as they start playing, it's fine. No problem. That's normal. But if they're starting to just dread, if they're so anxious about that soccer game that they're like, I don't want to go. I don't feel well. I just want to stay home. I want to, I want to quit. I don't want to do it. And they're not able to function in a way that they would like to be able to function. That's, that's when it starts to become a problem when it's interfering with somebody's ability to live their life in the manner that they want to, that that's a red flag of, Hey, we probably need to intervene somewhere. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. That makes so much sense. Cause yeah, we have to have some sort of that anxiety. It's almost what gets us ready for mm-hmm. that fight. Um, exactly. What's ever ahead. And if we don't have it, we don't go in as prepared, I think. And so, mm-hmm. so that's a good point to make is that, that, that there are various levels and we have to be cognizant of what is typical for our child and what they can push through. Exactly. And And I've even heard with learning too, is that you, you want, you don't want it to be too easy because then it doesn't challenge the child mm -hmm. enough. And there, there's, there's some sort of reward, internal reward of coming, overcoming a challenge instead of just everything always being easy too. Exactly. And um, something that I see a lot with my students, I do work with a lot of students who have learning differences, ADHD, dyslexia, autism, uh, math, learning disabilities. And I I see within those students, it does cause a lot of stress. And there are a couple of reasons for that. And one of the big reasons is, one, the kids are frustrated because these things come, they're hard for them. And they might have brothers and sisters who those things do not come. Oh, yeah. It's not yes. hard for them, or it comes naturally, or they're very gifted in an area that the my other student one is, may not be. Right. And 
within the context of my testing business, a lot of times I'll have students come to me and they'll say, well, what's wrong with me? And oh, why can't right. I get this where they're like, my brother just walked in and got almost a perfect score on the SAT or the ACT without studying. And here I am at a very mid-level score. And what's wrong with me? Why am I dumb? Why am I stupid? And I really have to talk with them about there's nothing wrong with you. You're not dumb or stupid. You have a challenge right. that's different from challenges that other people have, but it's true for everybody. We all have something that is hard and challenging for us. Exactly. And After a word from our sponsor, we'll dive back into this conversation. Is it hard to spark meaningful conversations with your kids? Whether you're a homeschool hero, planning activities for the next family vacation, or simply gathering around the dinner table, we've got something that can help. Introducing the Daily Family Conversation Starter by best-selling author Katie Clemens. This remarkable book offers 365 imaginative ways to connect with your children in just five minutes each day with prompts like, who made you laugh today? Or what would you do if you had a tail? These simple questions open up a world of laughter, curiosity, and deeper connections. From dinner time to sleepy time, the Daily Family Conversation Starter is your key to creating memories that will last a lifetime. Don't wait to transform your family's daily routine into an adventure of discovery and fun. Grab your copy of The Daily Family Conversation Starter today, wherever books are sold. This is Empowering Homeschool Conversations, provided by Sped Homeschool. Go to spedhomeschool.com to get resources and support for teaching your unique learner at home. It has taken me a long time, both as an educator and just personally, because I'm so indoctrinated into our culture, as we all are, to realize that the emphasis on being good at math or being good at science or being good at writing versus being good at art or music or sports exactly. or something, that's a social construct. We have just made up that it's more valuable it's to be right. good at math so than, than to be good at art. And I, I was a very highly motivated student. I was very grade motivated and success motivated, score motivated. And I, I really bought into that belief too. And a couple right. of years ago, I realized I'm terrible at art. I have, <laughs> I, I can draw at about a five-year-old level and I'm not kidding. It is, it, it's pretty much like disability level art. And, but nobody has ever said to me, Hey, right. there's something wrong with you because you draw like a child. And I do, and yeah. there's nothing wrong with drawing like a child, but as an adult, I feel like I should be able to, to draw better than a five-year-old, but it's not my talent and it's not my skill. And I'm lucky that nobody's ever said to me, hey, there's something wrong with you or we need to intervene or we need to fix you. Right. Be because yes. my thing I'm bad at happens to be on the list of things we as a society just don't care as much it's about. optional or a hobby. <laughs> yes. Right. And, and it, it has taken me a long time to realize that, no, I'm not a better person or more valuable because I am good at math. And it's taken me a long time. I had to go back and relearn a lot of it versus my kids who I have kids who do amazing things. I mean, they're amazing in art. They've started businesses. They've written yeah. songs. They write movies, oh, wow. shoot movies. And I mean, it's just amazing. So I, when I have students who come to me with, with that really negative self, talk and self-doubt, I do really talk with them about, okay, here's what it means and here's what it doesn't mean. And really exactly. it doesn't mean anything. It just mm -hmm. means, okay, you struggle with this thing. So what? And 
there are ways you can intervene, there's ways you can help, but it really doesn't say anything about a student as a person. And I think they really haven't gotten that message before. And I have a lot of students who come from very successful families. And so they see their parents have succeeded, their brothers and sisters have succeeded. And a lot of times they feel like they're letting their families down. They're like, well, my mom is expecting me to have a laser to get this on this test or be able to perform in this manner. And when they can't, or they don't have the skills to do it, that can lead to a lot of anxiety as well. And often parents don't even know that their children think that because they might feel like, oh, they're being accepting and welcoming and and embracing the child as they are. But sometimes those messages are sometimes they're overt, but a lot of times they're just very subtle. Yeah, it's it's that self-talk that we don't often, well, we don't hear it. We don't think about it. When kids mm-hmm. are younger, they tend to like verbalize that. But, you, mm-hmm. you know, as you're working with more towards the teens, um, that's all enclosed inside. It's been things that the society has fed them where we as parents have tried maybe to, to not say those things. But yet there's other influences coming mm-hmm. in and um, we have to combat those. And mm-hmm. And like you said, you know, let them know that there is thing there are things that they can do and um i I teach students and they see me you know after i've done something for five years you know i i can do it perfect and so (laughs) one of them just started crying when i was teaching her because she couldn't get it right away and i said wait stop sit down i want to show you something i'm working on right now and when she saw me struggle Mm -hmm. then it was like oh it's okay that I struggle too, you know? And so just helping students to understand everybody hits a point where they no longer are good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. And, and so, and so, yeah, that stops the self-talk is, is because it, it is just that perpetual lie that, mm-hmm. um, that makes that stress even worse. So, yeah. Yeah. And I, I talk a lot with my kids about stopping that negative talk. And also I won't let them engage in it either. If they'll try something, I'll go, Oh, I'm so stupid. I'll say, you're not stupid. You just, you weren't paying attention on that one, or you haven't learned this skill or you were distracted or you got tricked by a question that's designed to be tricky. And yeah, those are great. Come back. That doesn't mean you're done. Yeah. It's just, it means other things. You're, you're fine. So I, I always try to head that off at the past when I hear it. And I really try to encourage them as well, because our brains and our bodies are listening to us. And if you're constantly saying in your head, I'm dumb, I'm stupid. I can't do this. It is going to cause a lot of stress. It is going to cause anxiety and it makes it hard to learn when you're constantly hearing, Oh, I'm stupid and I can't do it. Even if it's coming from yourself, that, that chatter can be incessant. So that, that's one of the things I talk a lot with my kids about and try to help them with is really just even, and identifying that chatter in the first place, because right. it's so automatic for most people that most students and most adults too, just aren't even aware that that is going on. And that that's one of the first steps of dealing with anxiety is being able to identify some of those things, so, because yeah. once you identify them, then you can work on changing them. But if you're not even aware of them, nothing's going to happen. Uh, right. And once yep. they start, once they start listening for it, they're like, Oh, actually I'm saying that to myself. <laughs> six times an hour or, you know, right. five minutes or something. And it, it really takes a toll on kids. It does. Yeah. Yeah. You have to replace that lie with truth and, mm-hmm. you know, and it, but it, it does take being proactive because you've trained your mind. It's like you've created this rut of thinking and now you got to 
pull out of that and then put in that that new mantra or you know whatever <laughs> mm-hmm. and say that over and over again until you start saying that instead um and so a lot of times we think in in correcting a child just one time it's going to work mm-hmm. yes but, um it does take a long time to, exactly. to get them to mm-hmm. to think that way so so that's yeah that is definitely a great um great thing to to talk about is is that that as well and then you know just the areas where students aren't as as skilled um how do you work you know with a student especially when they're in that struggling you know subject and that stress that comes with that do you have any strategies for that um so with my kids who are having issues like that which is honestly most of them (laughs) um and some of it is a balance of figuring out what strengths are, what weaknesses are, and then really balancing those two things. Because sometimes there are things that just aren't going to be fixed. Um, sometimes kids with particularly severe dyslexia or s- some of the other issues, they're, they're, they may not be totally, and I say this in quotes, quote, totally fixable, but there are ways to maneuver around them so that kids okay. can do things in ways that they can be successful. So like in the context of my testing that I I teach, um, sometimes the reading comprehension passages, which are the long stories with questions, there there are certain types of questions that some of my students are just never going to be able to answer. And so what we do is say, okay, we know this question is probably not answerable for you. So um, sometimes like with the, there's questions where they ask you to infer things where they don't come right out and tell you. And some students, especially sometimes students who are on the spectrum, that's a skill they just don't have. And no amount of working or practicing or prepping is going to change that. And it it doesn't mean there's anything wrong with the kid. It just means that skill is there. Okay. Yep. Mm-hmm. Fine. And so if we know you're never going to get these ones, great. Okay. Now let's go spend our time on the things that you are likely to get right. right. And oh, that sometimes, great. sometimes people have a little bit of instinctive pushback about that, about no, everybody can do everything. And honestly, it's hmm. not true. And that's okay. There's nothing yes. wrong with that. And so if you can figure out how to work around your areas of weakness and improve them in the ways that you can, but also recognize at a certain point, there are right. some things you just may never be able to do. Okay. So go do the things that you can do and strengthen those. And so right. a lot of what I do with my kids is figuring out, all right, this question is probably not in your wheelhouse, but Hey, look, you're really good at these questions. We're going to spend the time on these ones because these are the things you know how to do. You're likely to get right. You're, it's within your ability to learn them. No problem. And right. that's sometimes nobody's ever said that to these yeah, kids either that no. it's okay to, to just know, okay, there, there may be some things that aren't for you and not everything is for everybody. And you do have to be careful with that. There's a fine line of, <laughs> right. Taking, say, the child will say, like, I'm not good oh, at anything. <laughs> I don't have to do it. I don't have to try, you know, right. I don't need to make the effort. So, so there is, there is a, a very fine balance there, but right. it is really true that there are limits to all of our abilities. And so if true. you bump up yes. against a limit and you've hit it, don't keep trying to go past it. It'll make you crazy. And there's no reason exactly. to do okay. it. Mm-hmm. And um, so Which is something so- that we embrace greatly in the business world, you know, mm-hmm. you, you, you 
function in your area of giftedness and you hire team members or you work with team members who, you know, have those opposite skills and you learn to work together and you appreciate each other's gifts. Mm -hmm. And, and that makes everybody better. And instead of one person trying to do the whole job themselves, it Mm -hmm. just, it doesn't work. And so at that young age, yeah, to be functional, to have the skills that they need. But, and I was thinking about this last night with, students, I want them for math. I want them to know how to do fractions and decimals and percents and know their times tables and, and be able to solve a basic algebra question, because those are skills that a lot of you do actually need in adult life. I use those skills all the time for when Mm -hmm. I'm shopping or when I'm trying to measure something or trying to put something together. Those are basic life function skills. I want my students to know them, but not everybody does need to know advanced algebra. And if, if that's not your thing, Okay. Yeah. You know, have the skills you need to function because that that's part of what school is, is helping you be a functional human. Can you function in your adult life? Are you ready to, to go do the things you need? And there's a lot of paths that people can follow. They can homeschool. They can go to school. They can go to university. They can go on a gap year. They can go to trade school, all kinds of things. And I think there's lots of paths for lots of different people. Yeah, so true. And, and going in with that, that mindset, you know, really, we've been talking about a mindset as to, you know, what, what is, is doable. Mm -hmm. Um, And, I mean, like, I I, I was thinking, as you were talking, you know, to understand a process is different than mastering a process. Mm -hmm. And, and so it is good to know, to understand the basics of why this thing works or, you know, you know, even like those long comprehensive questions, you know, and inferences, why do people use them? But mm-hmm. mastering them and spending a lot of time when that is not in the, you know, <laughs> the top qualities of your wheelhouse, um, it's okay. But at least you know why people do it. And, and for those people that do it well, why it's important to, to lean on people that, that have mm-hmm. that skill. Um, and so, so it's just bringing greater awareness but, but yet at the same time saying, you know, that's, that's just something I can step away from, be comfortable about and be happy that other people do it. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. And at the same time, knowing it's okay to do hard things, you can do hard things because, because I do want, want to make sure my students aren't coming away going, oh, well, I can't do it. So fine. And, and, and because there, there are things that that are hard for people and that are worth spending time and energy to do. So Absolutely. It, it is, yeah. it is a, a little balance in there. Yeah. Yeah. We were just talking about math and I know one of our viewers talked about a math curriculum that she said, I've heard there's math curriculums that use art to teach math concepts. Do you know of one? Um, I don't know if you know of any math. I don't offhand. Um, okay. Unfortunately, yeah. sorry. I, I, I know one geometry program or that uses paper folding which is a very hands-on. Um, so kind of, our, that's like more like origami, um, mm-hmm. but it's called the patty paper geometry. So huh. maybe that'll help you. I don't know. But that was one way I was like, finally, geometry made sense to me. <laughs> I have a degree in physics and I, you know, I'm very good at math, but geometry, I failed it in college. And and- <laughs> geometry, I, I had trouble with too, honestly. And now I teach it. And that's that's what I tell my kids all the time too. You never know when you say, well, why do I need to learn this? I'm never going to use it. And then I tell them the story about me because I knew I wanted to be a psychologist from grade nine on. And I spent wow. eight years in ninth through high school and then all through college preparing to get into grad school in psychology. I got into grad school in psychology. I went and on the second day of class, I remember clearly sitting there and thinking, 
this was the wrong decision. This is not the right place or the right time. And I, because I had worked so hard and didn't know I could change my mind. I was 22 and had just always learned you, if you decide to start something, you always finish it. And I spent three years in a program that wasn't right for me because I didn't know I could say, Hey, you know what? This actually isn't working. It is not the right path for me. And then I went into public health, which I do also public health work, but I teach test prep. That doesn't have to do with, with what I did. And I teach math every single day. So all those years (laughs) in high school that I said, I'm never going to need this. I don't need geometry. I don't need this. Right. Turns out, surprise, I do. You I do. teach it for a living. <laughs> and so I tell the kids, leave your options open. You never know. And even what seems irrelevant now may actually, you exactly. have no idea what your adult you life just, is going to look like. You have no idea. I, I skipped biology in high school oh, really? and all of college. And then I ended up being a biomedical engineer. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, well, that is a twist on that, isn't it? (laughs) So I had to like learn how to heart function, you know, all these crazy things like after I was in my career because I needed it. Mm -hmm. But I mean, you just just learn. And that's actually um, an area I discuss with my kids a lot too, is that what feels so deathly important right now, like that the decisions they make at 15 and 16 and 17 are going to determine the rest of their life. That is also not true. And yeah, they they often feel like, OK, well, I have to make the perfect decision because it informs the rest of my life. And that's just not true. And that can add you, so much stress. Too. You don't know yes. what's going to happen, even if you think you're going in to be a psychology major and that's what you do. You still may end up as a test prep teacher instead because <laughs> right. you just you just don't know. And things change. And the decisions you make at 15 and 16 are not as life and death as they feel like they are, because it, at the time, of course it feels like that. And and especially if they're looking at colleges and things like that, they've heard from adults, Oh, it's the most important decision. And right. And how I feel about college. I want students to go to college. If they want to go to college, that's good for them. And it's a good fit and it's the right place and they can get what they need. But the truth is, you can get what you need at most schools. And that's occasionally so there are thing, there are places that really aren't right for students. That's true. But for the most part, you can be happy pretty much anywhere you want yeah. to be at colleges. Yeah. And if you're not, okay, you transfer then and you then can you go change. to a different school. Yes. You can change. Yes. And that's it. That, that's all it means is you just make a decision. You go somewhere else and okay. You yeah. continue on with life and nobody's ever told my kids that either. Oh, um, and wow. I, I yes. didn't know that myself. That's why I was stuck in a program for three years. I hated and knew wasn't right. It was because I didn't know I could change my mind. Right. And as silly as it sounds, I just honestly, I had grown up with, if you start something, you finish it. Yep. Yeah. It, and that, that freedom, that open door um, that really can relieve a lot of that anxiety is, mm-hmm. yeah, you know, it's more of that approach that we're going to try it. And we're going to try it with the best of our abilities uh-huh, um, because absolutely. this is this is the direction we're headed. But it doesn't mean that once you are there, that you're stuck with it forever. Um, and and so that's that's a great uh, way to go into a lot of things because um, because a lot of times these you know they're just so young and they just really don't know what they want to do. They're they're trying things out, um, and we want to give them as many experiences in their younger years. So they kind of try a lot of things out before it becomes too expensive. Um, but, but yet there's, you know, teaching our kids that, you know, I always taught my kids there's, yeah, we'll try, we'll try a class out. And mm-hmm. um, if, if you do the trial class and you decide to sign up, yes, you're going to stay for the, the semester. Um, 
because you paid for it or, mm-hmm. or you're going to pay me for it. <laughs> um, and, and then once it's done, then you're free to walk away. Um, mm-hmm. Just chalk it up as a lesson learned and we'll move on. Um, yeah. So question for you on, you know, a lot of times we aren't going to hear that self-talk. Is there any mm-hmm. other ways that you parents can notice that there's some anxiety going on? Is there manifestations of yes. other things uh-huh. that we should be looking for? Absolutely. And especially with younger kids, um, kids who are maybe eight, nine, 10, older kids can generally identify that they're anxious or that they're feeling anxious. L- younger kids don't use the word anxiety. They're not going to come to right. and say, I exactly. feel anxious. Right. <laughs> and they, they might even not even know, and they may not know that word or what that feeling is, but right. where it, how it often manifests for younger kids and for older kids too, but um, is uh, somatically. And so it manifests as I have a stomach ache. I don't feel good. I can't sleep. I'm afraid to go to sleep. I'm having nightmares. I, I can't turn off my, you know, my brain is thinking too much or my thoughts are too loud. And that those are the types of things that you can be on the lookout for and listen for as a parent, because that is often a tip off of, Oh, something's going on where they're not being able to function in a reasonable way. And the, the first time I encountered this was actually my first year teaching. And I was working with a little boy. He was in fifth grade. So I think he was about nine and he was taking it. He was preparing for a test and at the time I went to people's houses. So we were sitting at his dining room table working and all of a sudden Mm -hmm. he said, he said, I'm really worried about this test. And he goes, and I can't, I'm having a hard time sleeping and I can't really eat. And I, I just feel sick. And, and it was just this whole litany of anxiety symptoms. And he didn't know what he was experiencing because he had never experienced it in that way. And I remember telling him, I said, okay, well, let's, let's put some things in perspective. And he looked at me and he goes, what's perspective? <laughs> I remember thinking, oh, if you are too young to know what perspective means, you're probably too young to need it. But he did. Yes. He needed He needed some help. And so we talked about all those things that I mentioned earlier about what tests mean, what they don't mean, what, his, what, what it said about him as a person or not, and the place of all of the things. But that I, I have always right. remembered that. And I try to really listen for that in my students. And sometimes just things yeah. like refusal to do activities or to try new things, or if people start limiting their social activities, if they don't want to leave the house or they don't want to go out with their friends, those can be signs of anxiety as well. Right. Yeah. That does the shut doors, the, the, the things that, that the student typically wouldn't do that, that makes a lot of sense. And mm-hmm. unfortunately the, the kickback on, on doing things, a lot of us parents take it personally, I know as a homeschooler, and I've heard this from other homeschoolers too, it's like, why aren't you listening to me? And mm-hmm. we we forget to turn it around as to why, what's going on with you that mm-hmm. would cause this barrier to happen. And so I just want to encourage you parents, you know, as you're listening to Kelly, um, a lot of times this isn't, this isn't about you. <laughs> this is about your child and really put yourself in their shoes. What is it that's coming in at them that um, that may be causing this change in behavior, mm-hmm. that um, it isn't just defiance. Um, it probably is an anxiety that they're dealing mm-hmm. with. Exactly. And if you do feel like it's starting to interfere with their ability to function, I, I do really recommend 
getting kids evaluated for all kinds of things, for learning differences, for anxiety disorders, for depression, because sometimes there's really a reluctance to do so. I have a, a lot of students who come to me, right. my test prep kids who they've made it to 10th or 11th grade. And they, a lot of times we start running into stuff where I ask them, have you had an evaluation, have something? And often they'll say no, but I've suspected that I might be dyslexic or I suspect I might have ADHD. And often by that age, they know. And so I'll talk to the kids and then I'll say, do you want me to talk to your parents? And a lot of times they do. And I'll talk to the parents and I'll say, hey, they're concerned something might be going on. I'm noticing some unusual things. It might be worth it to get an evaluation to find out. And Sometimes there's, I get different reactions. Sometimes I get resistance, which is understandable. And the the reactions that I've had when people are resistant, they're like, well, I don't want to have them labeled. I don't want them to have a crutch. I don't want them to be, have a stigma or I just, you know, things are fine. And the way that, what I really feel about those things is if there is an issue going on, and this is true with learning differences or with any mental health issues, it's going on whether you name it or not. Exactly. By naming it, yes, there's a potential for stigma that does happen sometimes. That's true. But by naming it, it allows you access to treatments. It allows you to figure out a direction to go. And sometimes it can be really helpful for students, too, to just know, oh, I'm not actually broken. I just have this thing going on. Okay. Because when you don't understand why you're functioning in the way that you do, that's really stressful. And not to use it as a crutch, but if you can say, oh, my brain actually does think differently and I'm never going to perform in this particular way, but I can do it this way. And that way is just as valid as the other way. And so I I really highly encourage people to seek outside opinions because for all those reasons, it just can be so helpful. And then if, if there is something going on, you can do something about it. And you've got plenty of options you can do. If, if you're looking at anxiety, there's counseling available. Some kids do need medication, not not most of them, but occasionally they might. Right. Um, there's peer groups that they can do and individual counseling can help. So there, uh, parent classes can help. There's all kinds of things that can help. Mm-hmm. And if there is something going on, and this is especially true for learning differences as well, if your child is planning to go to college or might enter high school or something, having a paper trail on record is actually very helpful because if they do need accommodations later on down the road, the information is there. So they're not exactly. just trying to say if they are going to take the SAT when they're in 11th grade and they need extended time, if they have no history yes, of any documentation, yes. it's really it's hard to really, get really hard. Yes. If Absolutely. they go to college and go to the accommodations office and say, Hey, I, I need extra time. I need a reader. I need something. They're going to say, where's your paperwork? And right. if you don't have it, it, it makes it a lot harder. And so Absolutely. I just, I, I really encourage people to step outside if they if something is going on, figure out what it is and then figure out how to intervene. And it is OK to look for outside help for your child. So if they are if they do have dyslexia or they do have ADHD, they may need some different assistance than some of your other children. And so teaching right. a child with dyslexia to read is different than teaching a child who doesn't have it. And even I, even though I've worked with kids with dyslexia for years, I have some students who come to me and I say, you know what, I'm, I'm not actually formally trained in reading with dyslexia. And this is a level above what I can help with. 
you really need yeah. to be seeing a reading specialist who is trained in this and knows how to help you. And there's no shame in seeking out right. no. outside mm-hmm. help. It's and just different strategies people need just, for different things. Yeah, exactly. Yes. So I, I always want to tell parents, don't be afraid to, to seek out things and don't, it's, yes, sometimes there's stigmas about things, but that's part of the way you break stigmas is by, right. by talking about them and acknowledging them. And w- if everybody was comfortable saying, okay, yep, I have this thing or this or my child, whatever, that right. stigma would disappear, but it won't disappear until people start talking about it. Exactly. And I think it's good that you, you start, we started this whole conversation based on what the child wanted, mm-hmm. um, you know, because I have left that up to each of my children what, what they, if they wanted a diagnosis mm-hmm. or not. And, and then, you know, I pursued what they felt they needed mm-hmm. um, because really they're the ones who are going to use that label. They're the exactly. ones that are, you know, and if they aren't going to, I mean, what benefit is to me maybe to teach them when they're younger, but, um, but if my, my oldest decided not to be diagnosed um, and he had some issues in college and he persevered through them because he was, <laughs> so big headed, he wasn't going to be labeled. So, you know, and more power mm-hmm. to him. I yeah. Guess, which is his, know? his prerogative yeah, too. Exactly. But especially with your younger but kids, when, they're, when, yeah, when they're eight at exactly. night, if, if they're 15, 16, 17, I, I really strongly believe in letting kids that age start to have some autonomy about making decisions about their educational careers and their decisions, educational decisions. But if you're eight or nine year old, oh, it's really straight sides of something at intervene early because life only gets harder. School only gets harder. And right. if you don't catch it early, I, I see my 15 and 16 year olds come to me and they've, they've basically missed 10 years of math because exactly they, yep. they were having trouble understanding it. And it's too late to get caught up when you're, you're 15 or 16, but if at your nine or 10 and you realize, Oh, I have a, a math disorder or I have a reading disability or uh, difference. Yes then you can do something about it. Right. And, and, and the, same the in- self-talk doesn't start until after that period too. Exactly. It's, and so you're, you're catching it where the child's not thinking it's them, but mm-hmm. there's just something wrong with the instruction and until they, they hit those teen years and then everything becomes, Oh, it's my issue. Mm-hmm. Um, and so exactly. you know, saving all of that anxiety as well. Yeah. And just like difficulties with learning, anxiety issues generally, sometimes they're transient. There are sometimes um, anxiety disorders that are just specific to a a particular event that has happened and then they dissipate. But if you, if your child generally has an anxiety disorder, it's not going to get better on its own. And often kids don't recognize it and they, they don't know to ask for help or even that they can ask for help. And that was something I struggled a lot with anxiety as a child. And I spent years just suffering with it because just like I didn't know I could quit something. I also didn't know I could ask for help. I literally did not know I was allowed to say to an adult, Hey, I'm really struggling with this. I need some help. Can you help me? Right. And, and so I really needed somebody else to step in when I was eight and nine and 10. And then later as a teenager to say, Hey, you're, you're having a hard time here. Let's do something about it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And that empowers you all the more when you, you know, that you have that ability to say, I just, I, I need the extra help, you know, I need Mm -hmm. this accommodation. And I know a lot of parents in our community are they're very proactive about teaching Mm -hmm. their kids how to advocate for themselves. That's great. And, um, but, but 
even though you're preaching to the choir, I like that you're preaching it because um, we need to be reminded that even in the things that um, we sometimes feel like, oh, this is a minor issue, your child still needs to know how mm -hmm. to advocate for themselves and they need to know what's going on because that anxiety can be so overwhelming mm -hmm. and so defeating and, um, and, and carry out even in the longer, longer run. Um, so, so yeah, so as far as the strategies that we've talked about, is there any that we haven't hit on mm -hmm. that you'd like to really talk about still? Yeah. So we, we've really talked a lot about the cognitive piece of it. And there's really, there's three pieces of anxiety. Generally, there's the cognitive pieces. And a lot of that is the self-talk and the, what are called cognitive distortions, where you start spiraling into things that aren't necessarily true. A lot right. of my students will say, oh, well, if I don't do well on this test and I'm not going to get into a good college and then I'm not going to get a job and then I'm going to be homeless and I'm going to be on the street. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that is a cognitive distortion. It's not true. Right. Um, and then uh, that that's called catastrophizing where you just spin one thing into another. And then also the negative self-talk and the very black and white thinking of I'm either all good or I'm all bad or I'm smart right. or I'm stupid and yes. being able to intervene on those things. But the other two areas, there's also the emotional part of anxiety. And then there's also the physical part of anxiety as well. And with the physical part, there, there are a lot of things that people experience as anxiety and everybody's experience is a little bit different, but some of the common ones are feeling a tightness in the chest or having trouble breathing or sometimes excessively sweating or feeling shaky or just feeling kind of tremulous all the time. And hmm. those, and, and then also, especially for the younger kids, the somatic complaints that we talked about before, like right. your stomach hurts, you have a headache, yep. you just don't feel good. A lot of times right. they can't really say what it is. They just don't feel good. Exactly. And those symptoms are important to one, to help kids be aware of and both so that they recognize them and so that they can intervene on them because often there are warning signs that something's going to happen. Like if you know, especially if you're prone to panic attacks, say a lot right. of times there is a warning signal that some, that a panic attack is going to happen. Your excuse me, your chest tightens or your fingertips start tingling or you start breathing a little bit faster, hyperventilating. And when kids know those signs, they can start to recognize them well, and realize, true. Oh, yeah. this is a warning sign that I I'm, something is ramping up and I'm, I'm about to be in a problem. I'm about to have a panic attack. I'm about to ha have an anxiety yeah. episode or something uncomfortable is really about to happen. And just knowing that sometimes can be helpful, especially for kids who have panic attacks, because panic attacks, which are very intense anxiety attacks, a lot of times people will hyperventilate. They might lose feeling in their, their limbs. They feel like they're wow. going to die. They think they're right. going to die. And those are really frightening. And kids especially don't understand them. And if you if they feel like they just come out of the blue. And the truth is they don't come out of wow. the blue. There's there's always the warning signs. signs. And it. if you can start to identify those warning signs, you can de-escalate early. Because if you let things go to a full-blown panic attack, pretty much the only thing to do at that point is just write it out and okay. until it stops. And wow. they do panic attacks always stop. Just physiologically, they have to. Your body cannot stay in that state of arousal for very long. And it, it feels like forever. It feels like you're going to die, but right. you're not actually going to die. And even if you're breathing too fast, a lot of times people hyperventilate. If you hyperventilate too much, the worst thing that will happen is your body will 
knock you out. You'll you'll pass okay. out so that your 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 breathing will be regulated. Kind of do a reset. Yes, <laughs> yes. And, and that that's literally the worst thing. But your body will not let you die from a panic attack. Um, and so, oh. really, just understanding what is happening and being able to recognize it, so that at the beginning, because when it's in those beginning stages, there are a lot of strategies that you can tamp down. Um, which we'll talk about it in just a minute. But once you're in that yeah. full blown thing pretty much then right. you're in it. But once yeah. you're in it, you're in it, it's over. And luckily they don't last that long, but when you feel like you're going to die five minutes is a really long time to feel oh, like yeah. you're yeah. about to have a heart attack and you're just not. Um, and so with some of those, those physical symptoms, when you start feeling those, a lot of it is just general stress management and anxiety management. That's good for all humans and for adults and for kids. But exercise is a really good way oh, to, yeah. to take yeah. some of that down. So mm -hmm. if you start to feel that, maybe you go and you you run down the block and back. Or um, other physical sensations can sometimes override those ones. So I've seen recommendations of holding an ice cube in your hand. Oh, okay. And it, it's a, it, the the sensation from that is sharp enough and weird enough that sometimes it distracts you from, Oh, I'm really anxious too. Oh, my hand is really cold. Cool. And you know, it melts fast enough that you're not going to cause you don't want to cause any damage to your body, obviously, but right. an ice cube is there a short enough time that most of it shouldn't cause any damage to the skin. Absolutely. Um, and uh, there's also just breathing. Sometimes breathing can help because a lot of times people will breathe very shallowly when they're yes. anxious. And when yep. you breathe too shallowly, you build up too much carbon dioxide in your system and then you feel dizzy and then it freaks you out and makes you more anxious because now you're like, why am I dizzy? Something's happening. I'm going to die. Right. Um, yes. <laughs> so deep breathing. There's a, a method called box breathing. And there's a yeah. couple of different versions of it, but basically you, you inhale for a certain amount of counts, you hold it for a certain amount of counts, and then you exhale. So like, I, I like five or six, so I breathe yeah. in for five, hold it, hold it, hold it, and then exhale. And that has two benefits. One is that it does just physiologically slow down your breathing, but yeah. it also gives your brain a second to reset as well, because yes. if you're concentrating on that, you're not concentrating on, I'm about to die from these feelings that I'm having. Yeah, absolutely. We talked about that in our holistic, if you want to go back, there's a couple of videos. We talked about holistic parent care and, and um, the vagus nerve and how to reset mm -hmm. that and with breathing and um, that all of that, it's just, it's so powerful. Um, yet when we get into those panic states, it's like the last thing we're thinking about at that moment. Exactly. And, and that's why the early intervention is so important because when you are in a full blown panic attack and you're hyperventilating, right. you can't do box breathing. You, exactly. You just, <laughs> yeah. But at the early stages, that is helpful. I really like thought stopping too, which is another technique huh. from cognitive behavioral therapy. And it's just exactly what it sounds like. And it sounds silly, but it's actually pretty effective. And when kids start noticing that they're having disruptive thoughts or that they're they're having those those cognitive distortions or they're just starting to panic is to really just imagine a big stop sign in their head and literally see that sign and they can actually just tell them stop like stop because you get into this hamster right. wheel of, of yeah. thoughts, that little yeah. monkey mind going 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 and you can interrupt it and my kids always laugh at me when I say that but it helps I use it a lot it does, too yeah. and that thought interruption throws you out of me like oh actually I can redirect yeah. these things. And also knowing that 
emotions and feelings and sensations are all temporary. They always end. And I do a lot of yoga and they're always talking about nothing is permanent. And it's true for for emotions and feelings too. So even though it feels like you're never going to get out of this state, I think I read a statistic one time, our emotional state changes about every 90 seconds. Things change. (laughs) And so you just wait a tiny bit, even if it feels awful and it feels like you're going to die, it will shift. It has to. Everything, Everything shifts and everything ends. And just knowing that too, even though it's something simple to think about. I found that for myself to be really, really helpful of, okay, this is uncomfortable, but I know because of how the world works and because the experience, this will change. And right. and if I, yeah. I just wait a little bit, the distress will, will shift. Absolutely. And yeah, because we can get into that mindset. It's that, you know, the world's going to end, you know, and <laughs> all of that. And, um, and, but yet that ability to interrupt it and how powerful of a, a, a strategy to teach your child at a younger age, you know, just when they're dealing with these stresses from learning. But in life, we do have some major stresses and to be able to then use them, you know, maybe when they're taking their driver's test or, you know, like taking the, the SAT, ACT, sometimes, mm-hmm. you know, those those questions just they probably snowball you, you know, and to just say, no, stop. To just focus on this one. Don't think about mm-hmm. it. The 20 extra questions you have exactly. to answer. And, yeah. And one of the pushbacks I get about test prep sometimes is people say, oh, well, this is not a skill people need in real life. And you're just teaching to this test and these aren't real things. And what's the point? But uh, part of what I am it. teaching in yeah. test prep is, is the skills. There are tricks and tips. That's true. But really what I'm working with students on is how do you make a plan? How do you stick to the plan? How do you get something done? How do you persevere when things are hard? How do you figure out um, what you want, what your goals are, and how really how to persevere with things? And those are skills you need in all of life. Absolutely. And exactly. So even if your child doesn't take the SAT or the ACT, if they don't go to college or if they take other routes, there are going to be times in their life, driving, driving exam is a good example, or all kinds of stuff when they get jobs that they're going to need to be able to perform under pressure. And if they right. haven't learned those skills yet, they, they aren't going to be prepared. Um, and so even, even with testing, when people say, oh, well, it's only, no, they're, they're learning lots of other things too, which is really right. important to me that, that I, I feel like that's a really important part of the service that I provide. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think a lot of times as homeschool parents, and I know I did the same thing too, is I just didn't give tests to my kids for quite a mm-hmm. long time. But I, I was very um, careful at a certain age when I knew that we we'd gotten to a point where this was a skill mm-hmm. um, and something that we needed to work on for like the other things that you were talking about that I put in tests. And I put in tests even that I didn't write that maybe had wrong answers. Oh. And for them to be able to deal with you know, not everybody's perfect when they write curriculum. And how exactly. do you deal with that? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I remember my daughter coming to me and saying, uh, I was never taught any of these answers to this question. And I just made my best guess. And I was like, well, that's good. Because I'm, uh-huh. not, I'm not eventually going to grade you on your right or wrong, but how well you did the test. Mm-hmm. Um, and because... Yeah. And, and that's part of discernment of yeah, being a, a successful adult is being able to say, hey, you know what? I, I don't think this is right. And being able to say that, that's a skill too. Exactly. Yes. So true. There's so many other things other than right or wrong answers. Mm-hmm. And um, and so so taking that into consideration. So as far as, you know, working with students, you know, what, what are some stories um, 
that do you have any to share as far as, um, you know, students who just really struggled in this area of this um, anxiety and, you know, have after having worked with them, what mm -hmm. where they came to and were able to battle or manage that stress? Uh -huh. So one of my favorite stories about 10 years ago, I had a student who came to me, she was in high school and she was going to take the ACT and her, she was one of those ones who were her siblings had been very successful. They had gone to Vanderbilt. They had walked in and gotten a ACT is out of 36. They'd walked in and gotten a 34, 35 on the test without really studying. And wow. she came to me, she was scoring about a 23, which is in about the, about the 60th percentile of everybody who takes a test. And she, she was very much one of those kids who said, what's wrong with me? I feel stupid. Oh. I, why can't I do this? And she was one who I did actually recommend to get tested. And she, her, her mom, and I talked about it. She went to get tested. She did turn out, she had some dyslexia issues and some attention issues, and she was able to get accommodations for the test. She got That's extended awesome. time. And once we started working on it with the extended time, it turned out she didn't have any problems doing the material. The problem was the timing. And once the right. timing was taken care of, she went and took the test. She got a 34 on it, which was incredible. That's the biggest improvement I've ever seen from a 23 to a 34. And wow. she ended up going to Vanderbilt. And then about a year and a half ago, she called me and she's now about 25 she, and uh, has a very successful job, lives in the big city. And she said, I'm going to grad school. Can you help me with the GRE, which is the test oh, that yeah. I originally started uh -huh. out. So we worked on the GRE. She did really well on it. She applied to business school. She got into all 12 business schools she applied wow. to business school is very competitive. And that, that was a 10 year journey of, from I'm dumb and I'm stupid. And I'm so right. demoralized that I don't want to do anything to she's very successful 10 years later. And That's by then awesome. when we, when we studied for the test, I didn't hear any of the same things that I'd heard 10 years before, because she'd had all these years of things that had helped because she right. had a name and she, she was able to accommodate in the way that she needed. And sometimes I have parents who are reluctant about accommodations. So I'm glad to hear that a lot of your audience is, is, is militant about accommodations because yeah. there is sometimes an idea of this is cheating or they don't need it or it's a crutch. And it really honestly isn't if your child's exactly no mm -hmm. help them in the ways that they need help. There's nothing being able to work quicker or slower means nothing about your right. intelligence. So if you need 30 extra minutes to complete your math section, who cares? Right, you know? exactly. <laughs> that that says nothing. It isn't cheating. And to me, it's really no different. If your child is having difficulty seeing, you get them glasses. Oh, yeah. no, right. Nobody's it's going, great. oh, well, it's a crutch to rely on your glasses. Right. It really Absolutely. isn't. So if you need some academic uh, accommodations, who cares? Yeah. You know, as long as you're not, you know, there, there are issues sometimes, especially with tests where people are cheating to get them and whatever. That's gross. Don't do that. But yes. if your, your child honestly uh, qualifies for them and needs them, use them. Absolutely. Yeah. And I, I interviewed a, a college expert a while ago too, and she said, you can get everything put into place and you don't even have to tell have your to professor use and use exactly. it until you feel like you need to use it. So it's, it's kind of like the thing your student can keep in their back pocket mm -hmm. um, so that when they feel like this challenge is a little bit too much, I, I really do need, feel I need those accommodations. They're in place. Like exactly. you said before, if that diagnosis is done, the paperwork's yeah. finished, all that, and you don't have to be scrambling when you need that help. Instead, exactly. it's just like this, 
I've got it and, mm-hmm. and I can do this and, and how empowering that is to know that, you know, you've got everything you need to be successful. And isn't that mm-hmm. what we want our children to have? Yeah. And, <laughs> and you, you're exactly right. You still get to choose if you don't want those accommodations or you feel you don't need them or you want to try without them. Great. That is your prerogative to do, but yeah. it, they're there and there's no reason not to take advantage of them if if you legitimately need them. And I always feel, and I feel this way about test prep and about life in general, it's better to have something and not need it than to need oh, it so and true. be scrambling yes. last minute. Because I, I do have a lot of parents and families who come to me and their kid is taking a test in two months and it, it's the last one they can take. And they do oh, wow. think maybe they have ADHD or dyslexia or something, but it's too late to go through the process because that testing process does, it takes a while. It can take months to get it done, to get scheduled and to get in and the appointments and get the report back and get scheduled again. And so starting early for anything, always always a good route to go. And then, and then you can make decisions later if you don't need it or don't want it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great point. Um, Cause I, I think a lot of times people are on the fence and they're like, well, why would I do it? Why would I? So you just answered that question perfectly. <laughs> so thank you. <laughs> so I, I'd love for you to talk a little bit about um, in-house test prep um, and what services you offer. And also I want to uh, thank the people at Expert Bookers for um, introducing me to you for our show. Um, I um, I just wanted to, to do that shout out to them as well. So, so yeah, so tell us about your services and your business. Sure. So I do provide test prep services. And as I mentioned earlier, mostly SAT and ACT. And then um, if you are thinking about having your child go to private school or boarding school, eventually later on for middle school or for high school, um, I teach tests for those as well, because those typically have entrance exams. And then I am also starting a new division of my business that is based on math and really aimed at beefing up algebra skills, because what I'm finding is that, especially in the last couple of years, especially the kids who were in in schools, they miss so much math and so many skills. And math is one of those things that also does not get easier as you get older. And and I'm seeing that my high school students are coming in without the ability to add and subtract fractions or to multiply decimals. And those are very basic skills. And you can't do higher order math. I have a lot of kids who are coming to me and say, Oh, I have math anxiety or I have a, I, I'm bad at math. And it turns out, no, they're not bad at math. They're missing skills. They're and missing the foundational skills. Yeah. Yes, and the reason yes. that it causes so much anxiety is because yes, if you're looking at an algebra two problem, when you're really at a pre-algebra level, of course that's yeah. going to be stressful and that's going exactly. to cause anxiety. And so um, I'm putting together a program to really address oh, awesome. those those yeah. basic skills because um, especially for the kids who are still in schools, they those teachers don't have time to go back and oh, redo yeah. no. algebra and algebra no. one. And that's nobody's fault. It's just the reality of the situation. And even with parents who have been homeschooling, I know a lot of people came to homeschooling during yes, that time. During that time. And mm-hmm. and even people who have been longtime homeschoolers, if you were working or job, you know, things just change so dramatically. Everybody has got gaps. Right. From all kinds of things. Absolutely. (laughs) um, I'm I'm really wanting to help address that because math doesn't get easier as you get older. And there's no reason to be anxious about it if you can fix it. Right. Absolutely. It's yeah. And again, it's, it goes back to those, once you've mastered something and you're good at it to build on it, but Mm -hmm. like 
those gaps are, are really big after COVID. So I totally get that. I'm excited you're doing that. That's, that's a great, um, great service that you're adding because as you know, it, the, the need is great. And um, so, so yeah, well, thank you so much, Kelly. This was so informative and um, you had so many great strategies for our families to be able to, to think about and um, just to be able to evaluate their students and to try some, some new things with, with all that, um, various things that our kids tend to struggle with. And um, so hopefully you've all taken away uh, a couple things you can try um, in the, the coming weeks and months and, and also some things you can notice about your student. I think, you know, that's, that's the building block that we started at the very beginning talking about was, you know, we, we've got to be more observant and um, it isn't just the child um, and their anxiety problem, but it's it's something that we as a parent and an educator can can come in and walk alongside them with and um, encourage them. So so that that's awesome. So so definitely visit Kelly at um, inhousetestprep.com. That is is her website, and if you're you're listening, um, you can can find that link on the podcast description. Otherwise, if you're watching on YouTube, um, you can see I'll get all of Kelly's links to her Facebook and, and other social media um, links on that um, YouTube description too. So you can just click on there and, and go to her services. So keep up the good work, Kelly. You're doing amazing and helping so many kids. It's just, it's encouraging to hear the work that, um, that you're doing and, um, and just the ways that students are able to be helped by your experience and your, your heart to serve them. So just uh, appreciate you sharing with our audience um, some of that enthusiasm. Great. Thanks so much for having me on. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. So next week we are going to continue this um this theme of twice exceptional and executive functioning is just one of those things that kids who have uh, um, some twice exceptional uh, issues deal with as well. So we're going to talk about at-home methods for developing executive functioning skills. And so you'll definitely want to join us again for that um, broadcast. But um, until then, take care, everyone, and God bless. And we'll see you next week, same time, same place. See you then. take just a second to thank the team at Life Audio for their partnership with us on this podcast. If you go to lifeaudio.com, you'll find dozens of other faith-centered podcasts in their network. They've got shows about prayer, Bible study, parenting, and more. This has been Empowering Homeschool Conversations with Peggy Ployer. Has fear stolen your peace? I'm Jennifer Slattery, lead host of the Faith Over Fear podcast, helping you fight your fears and grow your faith. Subscribe at lifeaudio.com.